This is an AMI podcast. I'm Chuita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Disabilities are commonplace. At least one in five Canadians lives with some kind of disability. So it's perplexing that disability stories are underreported in the media. Whether it's a recent federal election or the COVID-19 pandemic, stories are rarely covered from a disability angle. Telling stories about people with disabilities is the right thing to do. Disability forms part of diverse human experience. But it is also good journalism to find new angles and ask tough questions about accessibility, barriers, and holding decision makers accountable. Yet many journalists who self-identify as able-bodied might struggle with using the right words or making sure they interact in the right way with a person with a disability. So insofar as there are challenges to covering disability issues for journalists, there are also a number of opportunities. Today, we discuss disability in journalism. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to the program. My name is Joita. I'm the host, of course. It's good to be with you today as we inch towards the holidays. I've already seen the Christmas trees go up, not to mention, uh, of course, days are getting a bit cooler here and getting shorter as well. Now that we've had the time change come in, it's pretty much dark by about 5 p.m. So with the seasons changing, why am I thinking about journalism and disability? I think the reason I'm thinking about it is because often towards the end of the year, I like to reflect, at least for myself, on some of the big news stories for the year. And we've had a bunch of them in Canada. We talked about the federal election. We had some coverage of that on The Pulse but not a lot of coverage of the federal election and the disability angles in that federal election anywhere else, at least in Canadian media. And of course, COVID-19 has has spawned many stories and a lot of excellent coverage, but people with disabilities felt that even there, our issues weren't really covered. To help unpack some of these issues, I'm joined today by Kristen Gilger, who is with the National Center for Disability and Journalism at the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism, and she joins us today from Arizona. Kristen, hi, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for taking a few minutes to chat with us today. Hi, it's nice to be here. So Kristen, tell me about what sparked your interest in disability and journalism. Well, it started about 15 years ago, and um there was a, a group, an advocacy group around journalism and disability, and they came to the Cronkite School at ASU and asked us if we would be interested in sort of taking them in. And at the time, there really wasn't a lot of discussion about disability coverage in the media, and it seemed to me to be something that had long been overlooked and was overdue. And so we decided to take in this group and really started it from the ground up working on how does the media cover cover disability and how can we help them do it better. And you've been around for the last 15 years. And as I was telling my technical producer, Nasreen, I'd never even heard about the National Center for Disability and Journalism. So give us the elevator pitch. Tell us about what you do in a few words. Well, basically what we do is try to work with journalists and communications professionals initially in in the United States, but increasingly around the world, 
And we have a website where we provide resource materials and expert lists. We follow news about disability, share that widely on social media. And we sponsor an international contest each year that recognizes the best disability reporting around the world. We just gave out awards a a few weeks ago. And then probably the most popular resource that we offer is a disability language style guide. And um, and it's online and we update it frequently because language changes frequently, but it's, it's used by journalists and professionals around the world who are just trying to figure out what the correct or best choice is for uh, terms and words related to disability. None of this is to say that, of course, if you're a person with a disability, a guest on a radio program, or you're with a person being quoted in a newspaper article, you can refer to yourself however you want. That's not the point of the language guide. It's really to help journalists do their work. Why is it so important, do you think, to use the right words when talking about disability issues? Well, I mean, from a journalistic perspective, it's about being accurate, right? Mm-hmm. You you want to use terms that are accurate, that people understand, that are correct medical diagnoses, for example. And also, you know, you want to be respectful of your audience. And there are nearly a quarter of the population that has some kind of disability and if you expand that by caretakers and loved ones and family members, you know, that's a large audience of people who are interested in this topic and want to be referred to in the, in the appropriate ways. Mm-hmm. When you think about it, we've had mm-hmm. many months of coverage around the COVID-19 pandemic, and we've talked to doctors, epidemiologists, people who worked in the long-term and nursing sectors, One could try to argue that a lot of that is getting into disability issues, especially if you're dealing with people being sick Mm -hmm. or people being unwell because of the of the virus. Do you think, though, that that's the extent that we need to work on when we talk about disability journalism? Are we are we checking off that box if we just talk to doctors and medical practitioners or do we need to do more? Well, it's a really good question. One of the things that we encourage when we're talking to professionals and people in the media is to is to is to get them to think about talking to people with disabilities. Um, often their voices are left out of coverage. You know, we're talking to, as you mentioned, you know, medical experts or family members, and we often do not talk to the people who actually experience the disability and their voices are often missing in coverage. That's particularly true and difficult when it comes to intellectual disabilities or developmental disabilities. Sometimes it's really hard to include those voices and stories, but more often we don't ask when we should. Who's in the best position to talk to people with disabilities? Should we, in fact, encourage journalists with disabilities to to bring us stories from their communities? Or would you say that really disability coverage is something that journalists, regardless of their ability, should be thinking about doing? Well, I think the answer to that is both. I mean, Mm -hmm. as journalists, we have an obligation to serve our audiences and reflect our audiences. And so everybody, I think, needs to have some recognition that this is a significant portion of the population too often overlooked. And there are really good stories that need to be told about about and for this group. 
Um, but, you know, also what you bring up is the issue of, you know, diversity within newsrooms. And, mm-hmm. you know, do we have enough people with disabilities in newsrooms? You know, there is no accurate way to assess that number. But it does appear that there is not nearly the representation in newsrooms of people with disabilities as there is in the general population. So I would say that one of the things we really need to work on is to get, you know, uh, more people with disabilities represented in newsrooms. And, you know, it's not that they have to do a disability beat. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. any other any other group uh, that that reflects diversity. You want you want that across the spectrum. And disability needs to be considered when we're talking about diversity in newsrooms. Diversity as opposed to inclusivity. Um, I'm not. I, hopefully, I'm not being the person who quibbles about language here. But do you see a distinction between a diverse newsroom versus an inclusive newsroom? No, I mean, I guess it, it to me that, that these are overlapping concepts, right? Mm. I mean, you want people who live with disabilities in your newsrooms, and you want the newsroom as a whole to be inclusive and and about coverage of this group and and other underrepresented groups. Mm -hmm. So how then do we go about accomplishing this inclusive or this diverse newsroom? What are some best practices that you might have come across in your 15 plus years working in this field? Well, I mean, I generally start with an awareness. I think there still is not a lot of awareness of the need to do more and better coverage of disability reporting. Mm -hmm. And so I think that you sort of start with that. It's like you're working on a story about, you know, there's a wildfire and there are evacuations. And think about what populations that affect and how that might affect them differently. And so if you're a disability, that you might have a different experience or challenges in evacuating from a wildfire area. So it can be any story. It can be stories about, you know, marriage and birth rates and, and uh, you know, people with disabilities do everything everybody else does, and yet they're often not included in those stories. So the first step is just to sort of be aware of, oh, yeah, you know, this is something we need to, to be concerned about. And then the second step, I think, is second and third steps, I guess I would say, would be trying to understand the language to use, which is why, you know, the disabilities language style guide can be useful. And then also just to have some basic understanding of how to frame stories about Mm -hmm. disability. Often the framing of stories about people with disabilities tend to be what's, you know, frequently called inspiration porn. It's sort of stories that make us feel good about ourselves when we don't have a disability. It's objectifying people with disabilities. Good example is someone who invites a, a student, another a classmate with a disability to prom. I mean, that's sort of mm-hmm. the classic example. And that's very, you know, it's a very limited way of depicting and writing about people with disabilities. And so, you know, I think that when you're framing stories about disability, you need to think about, are you really capturing a whole person? Are you using this for, you know, to, to make people who live, don't live with disabilities feel better about themselves? And if the answer to that is, yeah, then maybe you shouldn't be doing that story. So it's the framing of stories. And there's a lot of really good investigative work 
that is being done actually about the challenges and inequities that people with disabilities face. So there's great stories sort of from the top to bottom, from feature stories to investigative stories. So a lot of this is about awareness. One of the things that came up when I was covering a story about the vaccine rollout for COVID-19 for people with disabilities was this shocking revelation that they hadn't actually gathered any data about the rate of infection for people with disabilities, including those who might live in congregate care settings. Kristen, it got me thinking about whether journalists who want to cover disability issues are often hampered by a lack of good data. And if that is indeed a problem, how much does it impede telling stories about people with disabilities, even if we might want to do so? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really good point. It is really hard to get, not always, but often, it's hard to get good data. It is sometimes there, and we, you know, reporters can find it. But, you know, even we were talking earlier about how many journalists with disabilities work in newsrooms. There's no data on that. Mm -hmm. And that does make it really difficult to try to figure out where we're at. And I think some government agencies are starting to collect data that is a little better than what we've had before. But in general, it is an issue. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've been wondering about as we talk about a lack of inclusion or diversity in terms of having people with disabilities in the newsroom is how does a journalist with a disability balance the need to remain objective while also pitching or chasing or producing stories from a disability angle, can you, should you, ought you to take the person out of the journalist and the, or, or are you just meant to report in as objective a fashion as possible? I mean, it's a hard question to answer. I mean, the NCDJ, this organization, we do say we're not an advocacy organization. We are a journalistic-facing organization where what we're really worried about are issues of accuracy and inclusion, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we talk about having people with disabilities in newsrooms, and that's because they bring a perspective, or just educating people in newsrooms so that they understand some of the issues we've been talking about. And Mm -hmm. that is, you know, something that each individual brings to the workplace. They have a lived experience that can inform reporting. I mean, You know, for a long time, there weren't a lot of women in newsrooms, and Mm -hmm. I think coverage reflected that. So you do bring who you are and what your experiences have been to your reporting, to your news judgment, and to what, you know, and to your perspective and what uh, and what makes a story even. So, I mean, it's both things. I don't think that it that we don't encourage journalists to go out and advocate for a particular point of view. We do ask them to be inclusive. And I do think there's there's a distinction there. Do people with disabilities, do you get the sense, often feel pigeonholed when they do make it in the door and do end up working in newsrooms? Do you think they, there's a certain amount of pressure to either validate the kind of disability coverage that's happening in the newsroom or to help make editorial decisions about disability stories being covered or even just to assign them that particular beat or have we moved away from that propensity for the most part? You know, I think there are so few people in newsrooms who are 
with disabilities or without disabilities who are assigned to write in this area, that it's almost impossible to answer that. This was the kind of conversation that we were having when we were trying to diversify and still are trying to diversify newsrooms in terms of race, for example. You know, Mm -hmm. so if you're the African-American reporter in the newsroom, are you sent out to the, you know, the black communities in town to do the stories there? And Mm -hmm. and so this is a it's a common a common challenge, I think, that newsrooms have faced over time as they begin to diversify their staff. But frankly, you know, there are very few journalists I'm aware of who are specifically assigned to cover disability. So few that it would be hard to say whether we've gotten to the point of, you know, are we pigeonholing people or not? Hmm. Now, you mentioned that there are very few journalists who are assigned to cover disability stories. Nonetheless, uh, there are people whose work, no doubt, gets nominated for the contest that the NC DJ runs every year. And of course, you've got winners that you announced not too long ago. Tell me a little bit about some of the people whose work you've been able to highlight this year. Yeah, thank you for that. Our contest is divided into two categories, one for large media organizations, and that can be television, radio, digital, or print, and then the second for small media organizations. So Mm -hmm. in our top media, the large media category, our winner was William Wan, who's a reporter for the Washington Post, and he did a story about how the pandemic has isolated people and in particular looking at Alzheimer's patients. And it looked at the number of deaths caused by Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia during the pandemic and how the isolation associated with dementia has been exasperated by the pandemic. So it was a really insightful, interesting look at an aspect of the pandemic that really affected people with disabilities. And then I mentioned that we recognize work from around the world in the small media category. Our top winner was from the Arab Investigative Network for a story about, it was an investigation on how deaf and hard of hearing people have trouble getting services at government hospitals in Egypt, uh, which was a real sort of hardcore investigative story. So, those are the kinds of stories that frequently get honored in this contest. Do you get a lot of submissions? This year we had more than 130 entries oh. from around the world. So a pretty, a pretty good representation. How much of the disability coverage that you look at is also intersectional disability coverage? We talked about women and we've talked about the race and diversifying along those lines. How much of the journalism you're looking at is is journalism that reflects not just disability inclusion, obviously, but diversity within the disability community? That's a really good question. A number of the award-winning stories have reflected that kind of intersectionality. I'm remembering a story that won last year was a ProPublica Illinois story about uh, children who were placed in isolation in their schools because for misbehavior and that affected there were uh, it affected children with disabilities who would act up in class in some way or another and then get placed in these isolation rooms and there was intersectionality there both socioeconomic and racial uh, intersectionality 
sometimes the stories deal with gender issues. For example, one of the awards in the most recent contest was about the challenges that disabled women face in accessing sexual and reproductive health services. Mm -hmm. Um, Often there is some other aspect to it. Mm-hmm. How do you determine, I mean, find one of the challenges with covering disability stories is when you talk about things like poverty or isolation or even, you know, sexual health for disabled women, the fact of the matter is a little, I hate to be that person, but I am going to be that person. These are ongoing issues. How do you establish yeah. a hook for those stories that you're, you're when you're pitching that story to a senior editor, you're able to say to them, this is why we should cover this story today. Yeah, I mean, the answer is it depends. I mean, sometimes you just find the person or the people who have so well illustrate the issue and have such a compelling story to tell that they can encapsulate that in a way that's powerful and meaningful for an audience. So sometimes it's that. Sometimes that you've come up with data or you've come up with, you know, records that indicate that there's a pattern of abuse and that abuse can be documented, and that sometimes can be the hook uh, for the story. So it's like any other story where you have to have the, you know, something that has happened that has a, an effect that has ramifications for a, a larger uh, society, and there's a compelling story to tell. Do you think that when we think about, well, I guess we only have a few minutes left. And so I I would have liked to ask you more, but I guess I'll, I'll leave off with the one last question, which is, how has this work changed you? I mean, you've given many years of your life uh, to thinking about disability and journalism. How has it made uh, you think differently about your work as a journalist? Oh, that's a really good question. I mean, when I first started this work, I just really didn't know much about it at all. You know, I I didn't understand the correct, you know, language to use or what the stories were out there or how big this community was. And so this has been a learning process for for me over, over a number of years. But I think what it has taught me is that when we talk about civil rights, when we talk about diversity and inclusion, that I now always think about disability as being part of that. And I don't think that as a society, we've quite gotten there yet. And so that's part of what I hope to accomplish with our organization and with all the wonderful people that we work with. It's just to get people to think about this um, incredibly important, vital group of people. And what they're trying to accomplish is a, it's a base, it, basic civil rights. Our basic, like, you know, being part of society and being recognized as being full functioning members of society and people who have challenges that are sometimes, you know, overlooked and, and need to be addressed. So I feel very passionate about that. There's just great journalism to be done here. And I think journalism can make a, a huge difference. It makes a difference in you know, how people in our society view people with disabilities. And that has long-lasting ramifications. Kristen, thank you very much for speaking to us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. 
Kristen Gilger is with the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism. She's the director for the National Center for Disability and Journalism. If you missed any of our conversation, you can find the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to like, rate, or subscribe. I'd like to thank, of course, my technical producer, as always, Nisreen Abdul-Majid. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI-audio, and Paula Deneen is our technical supervisor. Thanks a lot for listening. Stay safe and have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.